0: So again, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 10. We're going to be continuing our series through the I am statements of Jesus. And next week, I'll finish it off. So we've looked at so far, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. We looked at him saying, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. Last week, we read him and said, Jesus saying, I am the door. Today, we're going to be looking at him saying, I am the good shepherd. We're not going to look at Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. I just I feel like every Easter and Good Friday, that, that's kind of the, the repeating theme message, and we, we did go through it this past year. And then I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, and, and Paul preached on that, and, and um, again, you can listen to that. And then we already did I am the true vine. So I've been going out of order, kind of scattering them. It was because I was going to line them up with the Advent uh, season and the Advent themes, and then I got sick and, and then I was like, well, I might as well just finish things. So today we're gonna to be looking at another I am, I am the good shepherd. And just as a recap, as Jesus is saying each one of these phrases, he's revealing a twofold truth. The first truth that he's saying is, I am God. On the second hand, you have a a characteristic or nature of his deity. So he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light, I am the door, I am the vine. And This isn't in my notes, and and this happened um, yesterday, but Naya was getting really, really tired, and she was getting a little fussy, and she only likes to nap when you're holding her. So yesterday afternoon, I was holding her. She was getting ready to fall asleep, so I was like, all right, I'm going to put her on the couch, like a little loveseat couch, and what I did is I'm going to sit in front of it on the floor, and I'm going to be the door. And I had no spiritual, I was was not like, I'm the door as Jesus was the door for me. No, this was just, I'm looking back today, I'm like, wait a minute, this this relates a little bit to last week. So as she's sitting on a couch, it's probably a little smaller than this seat here, I lay her down sideways, of course, and I lay her down, she just starts wide awake, like this. (laughs) So what I do is I'm sitting like this, kind of just creating a door, I don't know if you can see me, so that she cannot fall off the couch. And I put her down parallel to the couches, right? So her head is here, her feet are over here. Within five minutes, I look over my shoulder like this, and her head is almost on my shoulder. And I'm like, first of all, how the heck did she go a 90-degree or whatever, a 90-degree turn? But it got me thinking. When Jesus says, I am the door, and when shepherds literally sat in the doorway, they became on the same level as their sheep. And the sheep who know their shepherd's voice, they take comfort in being in the presence of their shepherd. Just like when you have a puppy, you want to go down and and scoop them up and hold them and and have them in your lap. And the puppy gets all excited, right, because you're showing attention. You're on their level. And what I realized is when I look to my right over my shoulder, Naya's like this. (laughs) And she's just, hi. I'm like, Naya, what are you doing? So she's like, you know, I'm sharing secrets in her ear, and she's like sharing secrets in my ears. And it's a nice, intimate, close time. And it got me thinking last week when Jesus reveals to be the door as the shepherds, again, they're at the same level as the sheep, and the sheep take comfort in that. They feel extra secure. They feel extra loved. They feel extra cared for because their shepherd is right next to them. So last week we looked at Jesus saying, I am the door. And just a little bit of a recap, in John chapter 9 Jesus healed the blind beggar. He healed the blind man who was blind since his birth. And we saw how the Pharisees treated him. First, they didn't believe he was blind. They had to call his parents and say, is this actually your son? And was he blind since birth? Is he lying? And then they asked the man, where is Jesus? And the man says something that offends the Pharisees. He says, oh, do you want to be his disciple too? Do you want to learn more about Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? And that comment outraged the Pharisees so much that they kicked him out of the temple. It's as if they excommunicated him. It's, a, it's as if Sid Harvey said something to me. I said, Sid, that's it, you're out of here. Never come back. You're no longer welcome. <laughs> no. Right. You're no longer welcomed in your place of worship with your people to worship your God. And the Pharisees are seen abusing their power as being the earthly shepherd, the temporary, what I would say, hireling, because ultimately the flock, and we as, as elders of this church, you are a part of our flock, but ultimately, we're all a part of God's flock. He has the final say. We, as the, as the shepherds of New Village, as elders, we have to make sure that we are a good hireling, a good hired hand, which Jesus will talk about in what we're going to be reading. So because of that, Jesus finds this blind man. He actually goes out. He hears he's been, he's been kicked out, abused by the spiritual leaders, abused by his shepherds. He seeks him. He finds him. Reveals himself to be what the Savior, the Messiah, God, and this says the man worshipped Jesus and Jesus accepted his praise. So, as one hand you have the Pharisees kicking him out of their flock, and you have Jesus what welcoming the lost sheep, welcoming that the guy who was kicked out. And then you get again John chapter ten verse one and one to ten. We looked at Jesus is setting up. This happens immediately after the story. He's talking to those Pharisees talking to those who are also listening and can hear, he's setting up a contrast between a good shepherd, a true shepherd, a valid shepherd, and a false shepherd. And we looked at last week what the differences are between those two, and I'm not going to recap them fully, but if you if you want, you can listen to last week's sermon. And then he gets to saying, I am the door. And then finally, after doing all that groundwork as to who a good shepherd is, what they look like, how do they treat their sheep? In verse eleven, Jesus now takes credit by saying, "You know the good shepherd I've been talking about for the past ten verses." He says, "That's me. I am the good shepherd." So let's read these first uh, these uh, next couple of verses together. Chapter ten of John, verse eleven to eighteen. Jesus says, "This. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Let me stop there for one second. Sounds a lot like Ezekiel 34 of the, the shepherds in, in ancient Israel that God is calling out in that chapter. I'll keep reading. Chapter uh, Verse 14 again. but I lay it down to my own accord, I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And I'll, I'll stop there. With this section, you can spend months looking at the theological meat that are on the bones of these verses. You can go down the rabbit trail of, of deep doctrine and deep theology, and I was really struggling with, with an outline of, of how do I stay within the context, stay within where I need to, not avoiding truths, but staying on the theme of looking at Jesus saying, I am, and what does it mean when he's saying it? So, again, there's a lot of roads we can go down, but but I want to focus on three things Jesus reveals. And if you have notes, if you want to take notes, these are the three main points we'll be going through. The good shepherd protects his sheep. Protects his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. So the good shepherd protects his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. So let's read the first couple of verses that we just read. The good shepherd protects his sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is willing to die to protect what is his. They're willing to pay the ultimate price if necessary. The shepherd is not afraid of confrontation. He's not afraid of the dangerous predators or the dangerous people. He cares about keeping his sheep safe. And confronting dangerous animals and people are occupational hazards that cannot be avoided for shepherds. It's not a matter of if, but usually when. Because like we looked at last week, sheep are among the most vulnerable animals ever. They have no self-defense mechanisms, and they're just, without a shepherd, they're lost. They get scattered. They, they can literally eat themselves to death because they don't know where to graze next, and they'll just eat up all the food in one area and get stuck there. They, they have no leader leading them. So the shepherd's job is to keep their flock safe no matter what or who comes against them. If you're able to, turn to the Old Testament. Go to First Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, we'll start reading at verse 32. This is a very familiar passage. It's about David talking with Saul about fighting Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, this is what we read. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him that him being Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. So let me stop. For 40 days, Goliath, who is a literal giant, not metaphorically, not symbolically, a literal giant, is out taunting Israel, taunting their God. And he's challenging anybody from the nation of Israel, fight me one-on-one. If you win, the Philistines will surrender and we'll be your slaves willingly. But if I win, you surrender and you're our slaves. And day after day, nobody was, was courageous enough. I don't blame them, to fight like a literal giant. Saul says he's been a warrior since he was as old as David currently is. He said, David, you're just you're a little boy. You're, you're a kid. What do you know? This man has been in war since he was your age. Verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Now, that doesn't sound very impressive so far. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him the lion or bear by his beard and struck him and killed him your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living god get a little goosebumps from that right and david said the lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine and saul said to david go the lord will be with you Right, so we see David, the shepherd boy, is telling the king, I have fought lions and bears to protect my sheep. And I, I give him a lot of credit. I've seen a bear from my car, and I was afraid. It was like 50 feet ahead of me, and it was probably a baby bear. And I was in my car, and I'm like, oh, bear. David is what? Fighting to protect his flock. And here in John chapter 10, if you want to go back there, we see that Jesus, he's saying that as the good shepherd, he's willing to, to do that. He's willing to even lay down his life to protect what is his. In verse 12, we read about a hired hand who stands in contrast to the good shepherd. Verse 12 of of John chapter 10. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And this phrase or this this identity of someone who's a hired hand it's really a day worker right uh, someone who's who's hired for that day to do a task at the end of the day when they do their job they get paid but how do they act as a temporary shepherd and this was very rare shepherds would not unless it was a, an absolute necessity they would not hire a hired hand to care for their sheep they would rather protect their own flock but here we see how they act as a shepherd they run at the first sign of danger they leave the sheep to be vulnerable and what? Even scatter. They, they run away. They get lost. The hired hand are all about their self-preservation. They're, they're selfish. They're, they're all about themselves rather than what? Sacrificially protecting the sheep. They're selfish. They, they only are in it for what they get out of it, which is money. And if they die trying to protect the sheep, they don't get paid. They don't get money. Verse 13, we know why they flee. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand runs at the face of danger. Why? They have no concern. They have no care. They have no love for the sheep. They're just animals. They, they don't know them. There's no relationship. They're just, eh, they're animals. So what? My life's more important than that sheep. And on the other side, throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we see how Jesus cares for his sheep how Jesus cares for the flock of Israel. Even in verse, in chapter 9, that blind beggar is healed. And not only is he healed, but Jesus finds him, he seeks him out after he's been excommunicated, abused by his temporarily earth-hired hand shepherds, the Pharisees, and he invites him to follow. He invites him to worship him and be a part of his fold. In John chapter 8, you read of a woman who's caught in adultery. This woman is thrown before Jesus and all the Jews in the temple, literally caught in the act of adultery. By every legal sense, this woman is guilty. She deserves stoning because of her sin. And we see how Jesus handles this with grace and with love. We see that what? She doesn't get stoned at the end of the story. Jesus says, go and sin no more. He's not accepting her sin. He's saying, go and change. Go, repent, and change your direction. Sin no more. And there's other stories throughout the gospel of how Jesus shows compassion to those who really don't deserve compassion, love to those that are outcasts of societies, tax collectors, right? Homeless people, beggars, Gentiles, Romans. We see his compassion, his patience, his love for these people while he's ministering publicly throughout Israel in his three years of public ministry. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, Isaiah says this about God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those who are with young. And in his book, Philip Keller, who's a shepherd, he's working through John chapter 10, and I I cited this book last week, He tells a story of how there was a blizzard, and he had to run out and go to each lamb that he owned and literally pick them up, hold them in his chest against his bosom to warm up the freezing lambs. And he writes about how he was reminded of when God said this in in Isaiah 40, right, where he's going to nurture, he'll bring them, gather them, hold them close to his heart for protection, for safety, for security. I don't know a lot about babies. I know a little more than I did before. I knew nothing before. But skin-to-skin contact is very vital. For the first couple of hours of Naya's birth, she was on our skin. She was literally on our chest. And even she developed a habit she would only sleep for the first week or two by being on our chest, by being on us, being connected, touching us. And to this day, when she's napping or falling asleep, she likes to, to do this, this, like, feel my beard, or even Stephanie, she'll feel Stephanie's face like this. She just, like, her love language is probably going to be physical touch. Um, but it reminds me, why do the babies, why, why is it important for skin to skin? Well, they, they feel close to their mother. They hear their mother's heartbeat. It's, they, they smell their mother's, right? It's all these benefits that the babies get for being close to them, being on them, skin to skin. And it just got me thinking, too, as Philip Keller says about his lambs, as God says it, how he'll hold them close, right? There's no better place to be than there. No safer place, no more comforting place than where? In God's arms. So, number one, the good shepherd protects his sheep. Number two, the good shepherd knows his sheep. And we talked a little bit about this last week. In verse 14 of John chapter 10, Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And really here, Jesus is giving us a a glimpse of the relationship that he has with his sheep, that Jesus has for for his disciples, for those who are in him. It's the same love, it's the same relationship that he compares it between him and God the Father. Right? Just as the Father knows me, and I know him, which is what? Perfectly, complete, intimately. He says, I know my own, and my own know me. In John chapter 15, after Jesus says, I am the true vine, he says this. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's almost as Jesus is saying, the same love I've received from my Father the same way in which I love my father, I love you, my children, my sheep. And this word, know, if you do a study on it in the Old Testament, it really is a word that's an intimate knowledge, an intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. It's to know fully, it's to know completely, to know intimately. Last week I, I shared a story how when the sheep are in the sheepfold, and the shepherd calls them out to follow him into the, into the green pastures to graze. One at a time, he takes his club and he stops each sheep as they're leaving the fold. To what? To inspect them. And in that inspection period, it's a one-on-one bonding for both the shepherd and the sheep. right? And, and in that, the shepherd intimately knows his sheep. He lifts up every part of the sheep to make sure there's no cuts, to make sure there's nothing attached to them, there's nothing that's going to harm them, and then what? The sheep's free to go, and then he does it with the next sheep. So it's a one-on-one inspection, and it's really, as Philip Keller writes in his book, it's a time of intimacy. It's a time of knowing between sheep and shepherd. Shepherds also know which sheep are prone to wander. They know which sheep they have to use their, you know, their their, their staff on to bring back. Hey, come on, we got we got to go this way. They know which sheep would be what slow eaters, or maybe fast eaters those who maybe don't listen as best as they should, right? A shepherd knows their sheep. And this knowing goes both directions. If you look at what Jesus says, he says, I know my own, and my own know me. It goes both ways. We need to know Jesus, and he needs to know us. It's not just enough for us to say, yeah, I know about Jesus. Yeah, I've read the Bible. I I know him. But it says he must also know you. There's, that's a relationship I don't know if you remember but as Jesus is sharing he says um, many many will say to me Lord Lord did we not do good works in your name did we not do X y and Z in your name didn't we didn't we really honor you by by treating others the way you said we should and Jesus says what depart from me you workers of evilness I've never knew you there's a difference between knowing about Jesus or knowing Jesus and Knowing Jesus. I know it can be a little confusing. In youth group, I share a story. It might go over your heads. Hopefully it doesn't. If I told the kids every single week, hey guys, listen, me and, and, and Tom Brady, we're like this. You know, I know everything to know about Tom Brady. I know what he studied in college. I know his GPA. I know where he was born. I know everything about him. And then if I were to go find Tom Brady somehow on the street to go to a game, be like, Tom, oh, Mr. Brady over here, look, it's me, it's David. He'd be like, Who are you? Right? There's not a relationship. That knowledge is going all one way. I know him, but he doesn't know me. And that's a silly example, but Jesus is, is having a twofold sort of I know you, you know me. It's a relationship. And as Christians, we should want to know about Jesus. We should long to know as much there as there is to know about him and his word. Why? Because it'll draw us closer to him. It'll, it'll make us worship him, appreciate his grace and his love on a deeper level. We'll fall more in love with our shepherd. So again, that knowing goes both directions. And the Bible also talks that, that in a general sense that God knows everything. There's nothing hidden from God. Psalm 139 talks about that. And I'm going to do a little bit of a, of a transition here away from the good shepherd just for a few minutes. But God, the creator of the universe, he knows everything. He knows the mysteries of the universe. Sometimes I look up at the sky and I'm like, man, it'd be so cool to explore space. I'm afraid of airplanes, but I want to go to space. Eh, I, don't think I, I don't think I'll like that. But like, I wonder what, what, what secrets the, like, the galaxies hold. I, I want to see. like Stephanie. sometimes is like, why are you watching these planet documentaries? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, they're interesting to me. I don't know. I want to learn about Jupiter and Saturn's moons. I don't know. But... God knows those those secrets of the universe because why? Wow, he created it. He knows the, the the macro, but also he knows the micro knowledge of everything. He knows the hairs that are on our heads. He even knows us from our earliest beginning, even at the moment of our conception in our mother's womb. And this morning, this Sunday, churches around the U.S. are celebrating the Sanctity of Life. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I want to read this from Psalm 139. And in, in your church mailboxes, of course, I don't have it with me. I had it with me. There's a little pamphlet that talks about Soundview. Yeah, that, that talks about Soundview. And you can read it later if you'd like. But I just want to read Psalm 139. This is what we read about God um, and just his working, even in our, our growth, in being in the marth- our mother's womb. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And as churches around the United States today celebrate and preach about the importance of sanctity of life and the importance of of human life, we're reminded that the Bible is clear that human life has value and dignity, not because of our size, not because of the level of our developmental of development, or not even our location, but rather because we're all created in God's image. We're created in His image. In the words of one of my favorite street evangelists, God don't make junk. God don't make junk. We know that God is at work knitting together life, forming us even when we're in the womb. As a culture around us, they, they celebrate the murder of the unborn. They celebrate that. We can come, I'm um, sorry, um, as Christians, right, are, are, we should be defending the defenseless, helping the helpless. One way that we can do this is by supporting Soundview Pregnancy Center, which is located right in center. We can financially support them. We can pray for them. We can write them letters of encouragement. We can go there and say, hey, I'd like to volunteer. You can donate diapers and whatever to this, to this um, staff and to the, the organization. They're on the front lines of battle. They're on the front lines of a spiritual war that many of us don't see. And I want to say this because this is very important, and I don't think a lot of churches do this or say this, but if you've had an abortion or if you know somebody who's had an abortion, it's not the unforgivable sin. Let, let's make that clear. It's not the unforgivable sin. Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers grace for all those who repent from their sins, who turn to follow him. That means what? If you've had an abortion, if you know someone, they can come to Christ, ask for repentance, ask for forgiveness, and receive it. So please don't leave here thinking that if you know, the church believes and, and the pro-life movement believes that if you have an abortion, you're evil, you're used goods, God doesn't want you. It's not true. He forgives. You're not forever condemned. He forgives. And that's, again, God's Word. He forgives. And I want to get back, right, to John chapter 10. So John chapter 10, verse 16. And I have have other sheep that are not of this fold. Jesus says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep, he calls for them. We looked at that last week, and we also looked at this verse. Jesus is saying, I must bring the other sheep that are not of this fold as well. And he's talking about the Gentiles, the people who are not the Jews, who are not a part of Israel. It was always a part of God's plan to include other nations, not just Israel. The Jewish leaders were supposed to bring Gentiles into God's fold, but rather they turned to hate their neighbors. They turned to actually racially hating them because they were not Jewish. Where God said, I'm setting you apart to worship me, to be the light to all the nations. By your worship of me, other nations will see that and come and, and join in, in the worship for me. The Israelites say, you know, God loves us. He chose us. We're the best. We're better than anybody else. right?" They turned God's blessing into what? Selfishness, into their ego. And even in the New Testament, we see Jesus ministering to Gentile people. Paul's mission was what? To the Gentiles. So rather than Israel bringing them to the fold, they, they hated their neighbor. Like, racially, they, because of their nationality. And we see that the good Shepherd saying, no, they're going to be a part of my fold. I'm going to call them as well. He says that they will listen to my voice. And this question: How can we make sure that we are in, uh, that we're part of Jesus' hold? How can we make sure that we're truly in Christ? Is does that do we have to go to church? Do we have to pray a lot? Do we have to read the Bible a lot? Do we have to be part of a certain denomination? Do we have to give money to church? No. There's a three-step process that one commentator wrote, and they all start with the letter R. It'll be easy. He says, number one, recognize that God's called us. Recognize, know that you are a sinner. And God is sinless. Number two, respond to him. That's repentance, turning away and turning to Jesus. And the third is run to him, obey, do his will. That's what it means to listen to the shepherd's voice. You are in obedience, you're following where the shepherd's leading and where he's calling you to be. You're submitting to the shepherd as the sheep. A few days ago, I met with a local pastor. Um, just a local minister, I wanted to ask a couple of questions and, and maybe just, you know, looking for a little bit of encouragement. And he said something that, that really, like, rocked my world. It was like, duh, of course, David, how don't you know that? But he said, God knows all of my failures. God knows I'm going to mess up. He knows that I'm going to make mistakes, that I'm going to wrong some people in, in my congregation. But he said that God has still called you into ministry, David. He said, despite that, God can still use you and you will mess up. But after that mess up, how you deal with it matters. right? Go to the person you wronged. Ask for forgiveness. Seek reconciliation. And it really encouraged me. And most of you are like, oh, well, duh, come on, David. But as an encouragement, and for all of us, you can know this, that the shepherd knows me. The shepherd understands you. He knows us. And he still loves us. Despite at times when we say, ah, sorry Jesus, I don't have time for you today. I'd rather get some extra sleep. Or, you know, ah, Jesus, you're not the first thing on my mind right now. Despite all that, right? even while we were still enemies, Christ has tied for us. It's that amazing love that Christ has given to us. So despite all of our sinful nature, despite our mess-ups, the encouragement is what? God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows what we used to do. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're going to do. And he still loves us, which will go to number three. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. Despite all that, Jesus still dies for us. Jesus doesn't abandon his sheep. That's the hireling. Those are the the leaders of Israel that we read in, in, in Ezekiel. Jesus doesn't abandon his sheep. He gives it all. He lays down his life. That phrase, I don't know if you caught it, It's said five times in these verses. In verse 11, 14, 17, and and 18, twice, lays down his life. And this phrase does not mean that Jesus was murdered, that Jesus was killed, that his life was was taken from him, but what it means is he voluntarily laid it out. He voluntarily died. It was his choice. Nobody took his life from him. It was his sacrificial death, and it's pointing to the cross. Even on the cross, it's recorded that Jesus yielded up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. He didn't die necessarily because of the crucifixion or the pain of the nails or the asphyxiation, I can't say that word, or things like that. But he yielded. He decided to give up his life. When people tried to stone him in the temple, when they brought him to the edge of the cliff, he just he walked away. He wasn't a good escape artist. He had a divine plan that no one could thwart. He decided when to give up his life. And we see as the good shepherd, he willingly lays down his life. But then he takes it up again. That's in verses 17 and 18. And one author said this, and it got me thinking, what good is a dead shepherd to his sheep? Right? Pretend maybe David did go and fight the lion and he fought the bear, but he ended up dying what would make what would happen to a sheep? They'd be scattered, they would be a free meal for that lion or bear. Right? So with Jesus, we see what? That death isn't the end. He takes up his life again. This pointing to his resurrection. It's the proof that Jesus has canceled our debt, he paid the price, he has the authority to give us life because he overcame death. He's been given that authority by the Father. And towards the end, he says this in verse 18. This is the charge I have received from my Father. And what we're seeing is we're seeing God's plan for salvation. We're seeing that God the Father is the initiator of salvation. If you want to look over to John chapter 10, same chapter, verse 29 or verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has what? Given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So we're seeing God's plan of salvation, that God's the initiator. God has called, and he's given to Jesus. Even if you look back at John chapter 6, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the next verse is after that statement in John chapter 6, verse 37. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son believes, In him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. Turn a few pages to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Jesus has said all of his I am statements. He's doing what's called the high priestly prayer. He's praying and we're getting a glimpse of how he and the Father are in a relationship talking to each other. In John 17 verses 1 to 7, I can't keep ignoring this word. The Father gives, the Father gave. Right, John 17, verse 1 to 7. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you, or uh, the glory I had with you before the world created. I have manifested your name, proclaimed your name to the people whom you gave me out to the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and you have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. What do we see? That Jesus, as the good shepherd, he's claiming the authority that God the Father has given him. That God the Father has called before the foundations of the earth. That he has given Jesus his sheep. That he has given him the authority, and Jesus comes as the good shepherd and takes it. He takes what the Father has given him. Jesus, even if you go further in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul, he says this word over and over again, that Jesus purchased us. That we've been purchased as his sheep with his death, and his resurrection. R.C. Sproul would say this: that Jesus laid down his life for his sheep to save them from something far worse than wolves, from lions, from thieves, rather than to save them from the judgment of God, to save sinners from their sin. And I, I printed out a bunch of verses, and I don't, I'm not going to read them. But I just even just Googling, right? How blessed are we with Google? I just Googled. Verses that say we have been purchased. And there were like hundreds of them. And I picked out someone from the New Testament where it talks about how the same word keeps coming up. You were bought with a price. You were obtained by his blood. You were bought with a price. With his precious blood, you were bought with a price. Your blood has been ransomed. There's redemption through his blood. And for me, it shows us what? The shepherd loves us so much that he willingly lays down his life. He shed his blood, he spilt his blood. Jesus didn't metaphorically die. He literally died. He gave up his life. He was in the grave for three days. And the resurrection is the proof, what? His authority over life and death. And he has the right to give us eternal life. Go back to John chapter 10. I just want to read the last couple verses of this section. John 10, verses 19 to 21. We see the crowd's reaction to this which throughout all these I am statements of Jesus, the crowd is either here or here. They're divided. They're hot or cold, love or hate, from Satan, from God, prophet, crazy man. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of Jesus' words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open up the eyes of the blind? And I love it. Just that verse links it back to the previous chapter of the man being, the blind man being healed. And just as an encouragement, we have a good shepherd who protects us, who, who cares for us. Last week, he, he gives us life abundantly. We have a good shepherd who knows us, he knows our flaws, he knows our weaknesses, and yet he still has died for us, a shepherd who is willing to confront willing to save us from the judgment of God. I just want to read again that section, how Jesus, in John chapter 10, and this will kind of be our our closing words, and I'll I'll close us in prayer. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus again says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It helps you remember this week the promises that we read, going back to Isaiah, how God has drawn us to himself. He holds us close in his hands. We're a part of his fold, and nothing and no one can take that from us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing it is to just read it together, to learn about you together. Lord, I pray that as we leave here this week, we can be reminded of the love that we have from our good shepherd. Jesus, we thank you that you came to earth, that you gave up your life to save us from our sins. You paid the price that we could not pay ourselves. It's because of your shed blood on the cross that we are saved and we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. So God, I just pray that as we leave here, if there's anybody that needs the Holy Spirit to encourage them this week, I pray they can be encouraged. I pray that they can abide in your love. Be reminded that the same love that you have from God, the same love that you give to God, the Father, is the same love that you give to us. We can be encouraged in that truth. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that's going through the valley of the shadow of darkness, they can remember that you are with them. You are a good shepherd who does not abandon your sheep. You have called us and you have kept us in your love. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. In your holy, powerful, good name we pray. Amen.